Welcome to Soul Sciences. I'm your host, Charlene. Many of these podcasts explore writers, especially memoir writers, as they examine the journey of their lives. From time to time, you will discover a totally unique podcast on subjects ranging from muons to those lights that flash when you press your eyelids and anything in between. I hope you enjoy today's program on Soul Sciences. Hi listeners, it's Charlene here for Soul Sciences and again we have the wonderful and vivacious Deb Brandon who has so much to tell us about so many parts of life. As you will recall in our previous podcast, Deb spoke about the story of her sudden onset of cavernous angiomas resulting in no less than three brain surgeries and all the life changes that happened as a result of that. Deb calls the experience and her organ, her thinking organ, her bloody brain. She says that it brought her writing, and because it brought her writing, it has changed her life for the better. Now, we know from some series of research that after trauma, there is a small portion of the population who go into what is called post-traumatic growth, whereby they take whatever has happened, and they made the lemonade out of the lemons, So, Deb, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us again. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it last time. Deb, how has your life changed for the better? Would you please open up some of the details of that and also try to help us understand how Carnegie Mellon is a real struggle for you during this time in spite of the inspiration and great joy you experience as a result of your post-trauma? One of the things that happened, I have issues with sensory overload. In other words, I have trouble processing sensory input when it comes in large, high volume. And so I lost, well, I didn't, the bloody brain damaged some of my filters. And a lot of the data that comes in has the same weight. So I have trouble cataloging it, and then it just comes in, and I don't have any way of sorting it out. And it it overwhelms me. But the other side of it is that I notice details that I didn't notice before. Part of that is also due to the writing. And so I've become much more aware and self-aware. And that's really had a huge impact on my life. For instance, I'm much better reading social cues than I used to be. Well, when I go outside, I see more, I appreciate more. Part of that is the quote-unquote life-changing experience type of thing, you know, I'm lucky to be alive, etc., etc. But it's also, I think it's enhanced by the writing and everything that's happened. Another part of it is, in the wake of the brain injury, a lot of what you think of is in terms of what is my mind versus what is my essence. And It makes you think a lot about what's going on, makes you live in the moment much more. And because of that, you're much more conscious of yourself, of what's going on around you. And it's really enriched my life immensely. So the other thing is it's also added a passion to my life. 
I've become more ev- emotionally volatile since the brain injuries, which is, again, to be expected. Someone rummage, rummages around in your brain, plus it's an interesting experience, shall we say, and it certainly brings on emotional vol- volatility. But as a result of that, one of, the, one of the things about that, it brought me passion. I mean, sure, I had some to some extent before, but it's really elevated that. And hence, I've become very passionate about writing. I used to enjoy teaching. Now I'm really passionate about it. I enjoy things more. I enjoy my students very, very much. The thought of leaving teaching is difficult for me to accept the thought of that. But work is hard. It's really hard to maintain a full-time job. At one point, I was I had to reduce my teaching load because I just couldn't manage it. It was just too much. The bloody brain was not happy with it. And when the bloody brain isn't happy, it lashes out at me with really horrendous headaches, horrendous fatigue, which is really crippling. It exacerbates various neurological deficits and often makes me, brings me to the point that I just can't function. You know, my mind is a complete blank. I just basically switch off this as far as I'm concerned there's nothing going on up there there's no the chatter is just completely silent so working is really really tough but if it weren't for the teaching I wouldn't be able to do it if it weren't for the interaction with the students I I don't think I would have stayed as long as I have and I also feel that, that, again, because of having to deal with vulnerabilities, I've had to expose my weaknesses. And in many ways, I've managed, through that, I've managed to transform my weaknesses into strengths in the sense of, well, partly because when you expose your, your weaknesses, other people expose their weaknesses and you form deeper bonds. And... Those bonds, that's something I didn't have before. I really didn't. And now I have that. I have stronger friendships. I enjoy people more. I mean, I don't enjoy going to parties because the sensory input is too much. But being with people, learning who they are. I mean, I'll take students out to lunch when they're ex-students after they come stop by my office and we chat. At the end of the semester, there are lots of hugs. It feels good. I feel I feel like a, I'm a better person. I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I certainly like myself a lot better. It sounds to me as though from being a math professor, which I have to believe is one of the most abstract occupations in terms of thinking skills, Calculus is so intuitive and math is so abstract that if you dedicate your life to that, there must be a graying of your sensory data. There must be a kind of pastel quality, as you mentioned, to all of your sensory data. And it sounds to me very much as though in the shift of the cavernous angiomas and the subsequent surgeries, the pathways that you were using for those abstractions have become muted and the pathways around 
emotional expression, which I am a big believer in as a healing path, that in other words, we can't really heal unless we heal emotionally. That's where our mm -hmm. bodies heal. That's where our souls come together. So that your emotional energies came into full florid blossoming. Your sensory data came online. Your love of people, sort of the eros of life rather than the logos. M math is still dominated by a kind of logos you have to be able to repeat the formulas on both sides of the equation, make them absolutely accurate. Well, that's a high demand of a certain part of the brain. And again, to get a PhD there and then to be teaching that must mean that most of your hours are spent in that. Mm -hmm. And then to, f I'm going to do a metaphor here, but the falling through of the cavern, of the cavernous angiomas, into your body and into this other part of the world that has existed but didn't, was locked off to you because of where your focus was. Does, any of, does that make sense for you, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, that, that really resonates because my father once said to me that it's softened, it has softened some of the edges, and I think it's made me more human. It's made me more authentic. I'm more myself. And, you know, I spoke about mind versus self or essence, I have a better access to the essence part than I did before. And it's made me more whole. Yeah, it's taken away from me. For instance, I don't teach the higher level classes, but I'm not interested in teaching the higher level classes. I want to be more in touch. You know, I teach the humanities students. They're students who are much more... They're relationally open. oriented. Yes. Yeah, they're much... Yeah, they, their emotions are much more accessible to them. And they're more open in the sense of what they bring in to my world and what they accept from me. So it's much more of a two-way interaction. And I love that. So being able to access that side of me that I don't know if I muted it or has been muted all along, it's as though a dam burst. And that's something that I would never undo no matter what, or at least I hope not. <laughs> I hope not to undo it. I would never undo what happened. I really wouldn't. That is so inspirational for so many people, Deb. And I'm going to share with you it'll be in my memoirs, is that uh, I suffered, um, you know, abuse at home and, you know, being beaten. I was 1950s raising. My mother was not well mentally and emotionally. I ran away and I was captive by, got into a car driven by two uh, criminals who kept me hostage for three days. So, yeah, and I saw them kill a man with a shotgun and I was tied to a chair and raped and tortured. Yeah, and everybody gets like, oh my God, all that happened and you're still here? Well, it was followed by several years of following a man who was a teacher recognized by the Tibetans. And the fact was, I did a tremendous amount of meditation based in the Tibetan Vajrayana tradition of making pictures and dissolving them and doing that. And so my interest in healing is profound. But what I have resonated with so thoroughly in your book and in speaking with you is that sensation of moving away from a world that in my world was PTSD-driven, 
sort of blank slate, a kind of, I know that I'm supposed to be able to smell lilacs as something beautiful, so I'm going to say the word, oh yeah, pretty, but I'm not getting it. It's not happening in my brain. There is nothing going on up there that's saying, yeah, ping that, ping that. And so slowly, through the meditation process and through body work and through dream work, oh, and I sing, I sang a lot and I danced. And uh, all of those things, while I was in university and raising my son, happened, the healing had to happen at that time. But all of those things have brought me to this place where, and I'm going to say, like you, I avoid parties, crowds, because my information data comes in very quickly and very strongly because I read people much more deeply than I ever did. It's very helpful in my work as a soul guide for others to help people when they're stuck to move along more quickly. And as a writer, you mentioned it beautifully, as a writer, the consciousness is open to details and to that sense of the transcendence that the Romantic poets, Wordsworth and uh, many of those uh, of his ilk spoke of, is that transcendence where the overpowering emotion of the sensory data becomes so great the mind just fills with a kind of awe mm-hmm. and is struck. Mm-hmm. So all of those qualities has made me feel like we are sisters somehow and in this post-traumatic growth because that's one of the things people can't figure out is how I got here. But one of the things that I figure is anytime you heal from something, the important part is to understand how precious life is and how fleeting. And therefore, where are your priorities? Are you going to keep them in the past in the pain or are you going to move them forward? Your book is beautifully written from that point of view. And a couple of times you mentioned the going into the overwhelm. Mm-hmm. I loved how you described it that overwhelmed place where there is a gray zone and you're not, you can hear people, but you're just not going to respond to them. Boy, I could relate to that from early on in my teen years after the experience I had. So yeah, post-traumatic growth is really something I'm interested in your words on. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned about the fact that it spoke to you. Well, first of all, I'm glad it spoke to you because that really means a lot to me because, you know, people, well, I think until people actually read it, some people might think that it's just about brain injury, but it really isn't. It's, and and other people who have read it say, well, it's also about anyone who's had any serious event in their lives, uh, some sort of life changing event that it's, it speaks to them. It's very universal. And it's not just about brain injury survivors or people who touch upon brain injury survivors. It's about much more than that. Ah, Well, I'm (laughs) going to give you the comment that comes to my mind because as I read through it, I really believe that you've done something that we don't have nearly enough of in our culture, which is you've described certain states of consciousness. And in the deepest part of Tibetan Vajrayana Tantra, there is a teaching, it's called the higher teaching, the Abhidhamma, in which they proscribe in their psychology very distinctly different states of consciousness that humans are prone to. And we don't have anything really in the West. We have a whole plethora of information and research, which is great, on different kinds of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. We have sort of a moderate amount of information, as far as I'm aware, on the average person, and I'm not really impressed by the average and then we have very little on optimal what does it mean to be functioning at your very best and to be really in love with the world 
And I think that's one of the profound things that I got as a takeaway from your book is that far from being a book about brain injury, although that was your path, this is more a book about, look, you fall down, you get knocked out, you just are lying on the road, and then somebody comes along, and you get picked up, and you have to take the next step, and then this is what can happen. And oh my God, am I ever glad I'm here. And oh my God, it's an amazing life. That's the book that I read. It's good to hear that because that is a big part of the message. But another part of the message that I think is important is also being completely honest about it. That it's not just that. It's also about life is good and everything, but even when life is good, there's some bad stuff going on. You pick yourself up again and again, and that's the key. You keep picking yourself up. I couldn't agree more. That is exactly the key, is to realize this is life. It's not self. You didn't create this. This is the way this dimension works. It works in such a way that you get some custard and you get a fly in the custard. And that is the way it is, period. Every time there's going to be up and down, back and forth. And so if you dwell in the negative, you're going to get caught up in the negative. And if you move between the two, you'll have a greater sense of balance, it seems to me. The other thing I learned was that you need a little help from your friends Definitely. that helps you. That really, it's amazing to me that I had, or still have, the community. I, I found a community, and it's, again, something that I wasn't aware that I needed. Isn't that um, amazing? Yeah, and the community isn't there. When you need it, that community is there. They will find you beautiful message and if you wouldn't mind I'm, I'm afraid I have to draw us to a close for today but again would you come back another time and be on our Absolutely. program? Absolutely I really enjoy talking to you you make me think. Oh <laughs> well I don't think that that's necessarily whenever I get thinking I usually get in trouble but I hope it works better for you. <laughs> well, I'm thinking in terms of self yes rather than myself it's myself. Right. Um which is, as a writer, that's really important to me. It is. Thank you again, Deb, and I look forward to having you come back again. Yeah, same here. Thank you very much. Bye. That's it. That's all for today's program. Many thanks to Kevin McLeod for this lovely music called Carefree. For more of my works, including excerpts from my books, go to www.soulsciences.net. And remember... Take good care of each other. Bye for now.